Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and you will be able to follow me as the words will be on the screen. The Call of Matthew As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, um, I started a bit of a milestone series here at TAC today. This is my final teaching series. I'll be preaching this week, next week, and then my, my last week here. Of course, when I first planned this, I thought we'd be meeting in person. Turns out that's not meant to be. But as I say a lot, um, it's nice. We're not, we're not going interstate. We're not going international. Uh, we're just an hour up the road. We really look forward to popping back and seeing you and, of course, welcoming you up to the mountains when things uh, open up. So I've got this final three-week farewell series. Now, as you leave as a rector, you get a five-week farewell series, I believe. But acting rector, it's just three. But over these three weeks, I'm taking three snapshots out of the book of Matthew, out three pictures of Jesus, three kind of postcards of the gospel, the good news, the hope and love and peace that only Jesus brings. We're going to look over these three weeks at gospel grace, gospel greatness, and gospel gathering. And I want to leave you with this uh, for a few reasons. Basically, well, firstly, Jesus is the best, right? We always want to be looking at Jesus. We do that in all our sermons, but it's particularly direct in these stories of Jesus' life, um, like in Matthew's account of what Jesus said and did. I love looking at Jesus. I'm convinced that in looking at Jesus, in knowing and loving Jesus, in seeing his goodness, his godness, his work in our place, that's where uh, transformation really happens. That's where grace transformation occurs. So I want to leave you not looking at me, but looking to Jesus. Uh, secondly, I want to take these snapshots in Matthew because, well, I'm planning on starting with a series in Matthew when I go to Katoomba. And I figure if I do the work now, it saves time later. But, but seriously, no, I, I want to start at Katoomba looking at Jesus for the same reason I want to finish here looking at Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Today we're looking at his grace, next week what greatness looks like in his kingdom, and finally what it means to gather around Jesus. And as I said, this is the disciple Matthew's own account of the things that Jesus did and said. And this first snapshot we're taking is particularly personal for Matthew himself, because it's kind of where Matthew himself joins the story, where Jesus invites Matthew into his story. You and I get to see again just the kind of people that Jesus invites into his story. People like Matthew, people like Mari, people like you. Okay, where are we in the story? So, well, Jesus is getting pretty well known. He's already called a number of his followers, his disciples, mostly kind of fishermen types. 
and it's been teaching for some time. Like the whole Sermon on the Mount thing has already happened already. And if you flick back through Matthew, um, you'll see a whole lot of miracles happening. Healings, calming a store, casting out demons. And just before this section is the famous story of the paralyzed man who is lowered through the ceiling. We had that, that read. And Jesus heals him. But he doesn't just heal him. That's not where the miracle ends. In fact, the healing is more like the bookend to the bigger claim of Jesus. When Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and sees his faith, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Everything you've done, thought and said against God is wiped clean, gone. And the teachers of the law hear this and they're incredulous. This guy is blaspheming. They say that, that it's up to God, not up to you. And Jesus says, well, 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 do you want to see that I have authority to forgive sins? You want me to show my power and my authority to forgive sins? You want a demonstration? Fine. He tells the man to get up and walk. And he does. A miracle. A healing that we can see, but actually it's a much deeper miracle. More impressive is the one that we can't see. Have courage, sons. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 8, when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men, to Jesus, the one who can forgive sins. So we read that story, we, we see what that sounds like up, up here to someone have their sins forgiven. But what does that look like? Matthew says, you want to know what it looks like for sins to be forgiven? For Jesus to welcome someone in, a sinner in? Well, here's my story, he says. Listen to my story. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. That's it. It's a, it's a pretty short story, isn't it? Jesus sees Matthew, calls him to come and does. Imagine you're Jesus, right? You're keen to grow your group of disciples. You want to make an impact in the world. You want to share who you are, prepare people to see you as the king. Maybe you want to recruit people who will have influence to spread the message. Influence to attract others into your movement. If, if you were Jesus, who would you want on your team? Um, the community leaders, the famous athletes, the celebrities, the teachers of the law, the academic. A person with the greatest social reach, someone people want to be like. That's who I'd choose. But maybe you'd choose the person who's already following you, the one who's kind of keen to move up in the organization, go to that next level. Jesus already had plenty of people following him around, but who does he single out? Who does he address? Who does he invite? He sees Matthew. He sees a tax collector at sitting at his table and the tax collector hasn't left his table to come and see Jesus. No way, no, no. Matthew's not moving. Just think about what's keeping Matthew stuck to his seat. What's keeping him glued there? Well, he's probably got a stack of money he needs to keep an eye on. Being a tax collector makes you rich. You can't just get up and leave your money. You can't just get up and miss the opportunity of earning a bit more. Being a tax collector makes you rich. Doesn't make you well liked though. Because even though you were an Israelite, a Jew, you worked for the Romans, you worked for the regime, you take from your brothers and give it to the man, but maybe the pay is worth it, right? Anyway, as a tax collector, you've made your decision. So when the crowds flock to this new teacher, this new religious teacher, well, you stay put. You're not welcome in the crowd, they don't want you there. Besides, listening to some religious teacher is going to make you feel guilty, and who needs that? 
I'm sure this Jesus guy, he sounds uh, pretty impressive. You know, Matthew's heard the story, heard the gossip, but there's no time to investigate. There's a job to do, right? There's a lot uh, holding Matthew in his tax collector's chair. If it was you, there'd be lots holding you in your chair. So you keep your head down as the crowd moves past, but suddenly Matthew realizes the crowd is not moving anymore. The crowd has stopped. Matthew looks up from his desk and to his surprise, there's Jesus. Jesus looking at him. Jesus come over to see him and Jesus says to him simply, follow me. And suddenly for Matthew, there is no reason to stay in his chair anymore. He gets up and follows. Now all we get here is one sentence. But when I think of all the reasons Matthew has for not following, for not even investigating Jesus, it's just amazing. It takes those two words, follow me. And the next thing you know, the very next sentence, Jesus is at Matthew's house for dinner. Matthew is the last person you would choose to add to your team as a Jewish teacher trying to start a movement. For goodness sake, he's practically playing for the other side. No one likes him. But what's Jesus doing? Jesus isn't trying to start a popular religious movement. He's not gathering fans. He's on a rescue mission. And so here he's doing what he actually really came to do. Sure, sure, the miracles we read before or heard about before are great, you know, calming storms, demon casting, all, all, all amazing. But here is the real miracle. And actually, here's the miracle all these other miracles are pointing towards. People so terribly separated from God, so far from him, people in desperate need, people like Matthew, brought into the friendship of God, a follower of God, a follower of the, of the God who's come as a man, who's come as Jesus. Imagine Matthew's surprise as Jesus calls him. Imagine his surprise as he finds this call irresistible. Follow me. He told him and Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew, of course, isn't the only one shocked. Uh, verse uh, 10 and 11. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, if Jesus is setting himself up as a religious leader, shouldn't he be seeking out other religious leaders for a bit of a debate? Shouldn't he be working on his own profile, networking with the right people, you know, people like us, the Pharisees and teachers think? I mean, because we do the right thing. We separate ourselves from those sinners. We wouldn't be caught dead hanging around with those traitorous tax collectors. And your teacher, right, doesn't just hang out with uh, tax collectors and sin sinners. Uh, he doesn't lecture them for doing the wrong thing. That would be okay. No, he's eating with them chatting with them, laughing with them, enjoying their company, what is he on about? Jesus hears the Pharisees and teachers of the law make these complaints and he comes over to them. Verse 12. Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus isn't there to be respected, to be well known, to be important. He's come to rescue. He's come to the sick to heal them. Of course I'm with the sinners. They need their, sinners their sins dealt with and forgiven. That's what I do. Imagine for a moment that you're at, you're at a catastrophic accident or a natural disaster. Say an avalanche has hit a hillside town, right? 
hundreds of people wounded, bodies everywhere, and ambulances come from miles around, their sirens blurring, paramedics all jump from their vans, and they go to the tent marked paramedics only to have a cup of tea and a chat. After a little while, they have an awards ceremony about who is the best paramedic. An award for who knows the best treatments, recognition for the paramedic who has been to the most paramedic morning teas. And they admire each other's uniforms and the latest gadgets in each other's trucks. And they look out of their tent and they see a scruffy paramedic out there actually bandaging wounds, performing CPR, pulling bodies out of the rubble. And they say, what is this guy doing? It's a bit like the Pharisees and teachers of the law looking at Jesus. What's he doing? Jesus says, I'm doing my job. The sick need a doctor, the sinners need forgiveness, those far from God are the ones who need to come back. I'm doing my job and you should be helping. Jesus turns the screws a little harder and says uh, to the Pharisees, this is the job you should be doing too. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus quotes some Old Testament from Hosea. He quotes it to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says, go and learn what this means. Get it? He's telling the experts in the Old Testament to go and learn the Old Testament. You should be the ones who know, Jesus says. You should be the ones who know that God wants mercy. Mercy for sinners. Mercy being far more important than the rituals, sacrifices and rules. You Pharisees, you've learned the rituals and the rules, but you've lost God's heart for mercy. You are the paramedics who know the textbook. You have the latest uniforms and gear, but you've forgotten your job is to rescue people. Now the teachers would know Hosea 6, and if you were to go there and read it, you would see these images of God as healer. You would see images of people turning from God, being unfaithful. You would see images of priests even abusing victims. And Jesus speaks this verse against them and they know it. Hosea 6 verse 6, For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus came for the sick and the needy, for the sinners and the helpless, for me and for you. Good news of grace. Gospel grace. A few years ago now, I did a rebuild of our church website. And at the time, I did a fair bit of uh, reading and research about what a church website should be like and what it should do. And, and, and the wisdom was that the, the first thing you should see on the website should really be an expression of who you are as a church, what makes you distinct, what you kind of offer those who are coming to, to look at the website, coming to your church. So if you offer great music and an intense worship experience, that will be the kind of photo that you see. Um, if you're all about community, you'll have pictures of people and your headline is something like, uh, come as you are, we're saving a seat for you, we're, you know. And those are all fine things to have on a website, that, that's fine. But, but as I thought then about us here at Toongabby, I thought, well, look, our music's fine, but nothing that would compete with the experience you get 10 minutes down the road. Our preaching was good enough, but we didn't have, you know, a well-known published speaker who would draw the crowds. What did we have to offer the people of Toongabby and Pendle Hill and beyond? We're just a, a bunch of pretty ordinary suburban people. Different ages, different stages, different backgrounds, you know, pretty lovely people, pretty friendly, but pretty ordinary. Just like those in our suburbs, ordinary people, just like them. So, what do we have? Come be part of a bunch of ordinary people. But, but we are ordinary people who have something amazing. 
We have a treasure beyond all worth. We, have, we are ordinary people who have met someone, who have encountered someone. Ordinary people who have encountered the extraordinary God. That's what we've got. That's what we've got to offer. And so that went, that went to our website and our signs and publications all over the place. It's just who we are and what we want people to come and be part of. Ordinary people encountering the extraordinary God. Ordinary people encountering the extraordinary God. Now, before I leave and head to the mountains, can I just point out that it's the extraordinary God, not an extraordinary God. Easy mistake to make, but really important. There's no option to choose from, just one extraordinary God. It's the extraordinary God we encounter. And we encounter him in Jesus. And that's what's happening there in Matthew as Jesus walked the earth. Ordinary, sinful people encountering him, being rescued. Now, in some ways, the kind of the word ordinary is a bit soft. It doesn't quite cut it. The reality is that Jesus, uh, without Jesus, we are lost and sinful and undeserving, broken people. Not just ordinary, but you don't kind of put all that on the website, do you? Anyway, but, but, but we are the Matthews. We are the tax collectors. We are the sinners. We are the ones that Jesus has come to. Some of you will know this from your own stories. How much you were like Matthew. How much you had no interest in Jesus. You weren't a hanger-on. You weren't interested. But in some amazing way, Jesus said to you, follow me, and you did. The miracle that happened for Matthew has happened for many of you. And it's grace. It's, it's an undeserved welcome and healing. I hope you see Jesus here. He's the one that eats with the lowest of the low. And you, and you know that he welcomes you and me. And he welcomes us even though he knows us. Knows us to the core. Knows things about us. Nobody else knows. And he eats with you. He invites you to be with him, part of his family. Pulls you from the wreckage. Binds your wounds. Restores you to life. Takes you to safety. Why does Jesus eat with the tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees ask. Well, it's the sick that need the doctor, not the healthy. So what's Jesus saying about the Pharisees and teachers? That they're healthy and well? And that's why he doesn't hang out with them? That they're okay, they don't need Jesus? Is that what's going on? They aren't sick, so they don't need a doctor? Well, over the last couple of years, we've had to think about illness and death more than we'd want to. We, I know, we cursed the day that we heard about coronavirus and COVID-19. There was a time we didn't know those words. What, what bliss. What we've learnt over these years that one of the real challenges of this disease is that you can have it and pass it on without even knowing it. The sick don't know they are sick. The sick pass on the sickness without realising. That's what's happening here with the Pharisees. Jesus is not saying they don't need help. He's not saying they are good enough and don't need him. They do need him. They just don't know it. They don't feel sick. They look great, but they've lost the heart of what it is to mean that it means to live for God. And they're passing it on to others from their position of power and influence. They're meant to be the doctors themselves, the medical assistants of some kind, the paramedics. They're meant to be the leaders pointing people to God, but they have lost their way. The healthy don't need the doctor, but the sick do. But only the sick that know they are sick. They're the paramedics in the tent, not knowing that there's another, another avalanche on the way. They don't know they're in trouble as well. Matthew knows he needs Jesus. At least he realizes that when Jesus calls him. He, he knows his mates need Jesus. Why else would he be hosting a dinner party with his mates and Jesus just, just soon after? The Pharisees don't think they need Jesus. They think he's letting the team down by hanging out with these sinners. These sinners that they're meant to be helping themselves. 
When I look at this story, what I see is gospel grace. I see that Jesus offers a gift. A gift not based on someone deserving it or not. A gift that wasn't even asked for. But when a sinner like Matthew sees the goodness of this gracious gift in a moment, his life is turned around. Living for himself becomes living for Jesus. The sinful, selfish tax collector called by Jesus, equipped by Jesus, he goes on to write the life-giving words that we hold in our Bibles today. Words that let us see Jesus and his grace for us. What do you do? What do you do with this life-changing encounter with Jesus? In the last couple of weeks, um, I've seen a conversion story happen in my own household. Now, it's no secret that as we move to the mountains, we're a little bit worried about dealing with the cold. Uh, my wife particularly, Ellie particularly. And so a lovely person from our church bought Ellie um, an hoodie. You know, those kind of hoodie jumpers that are pretty much made out of a doona, a big blanket jumper thing. It's huge. It's, it's ridiculous. It's great. And as we stood there the other night cleaning our teeth, um, Ellie was encased in this massive blanket jumper and she says, you know, I used to think hoodies were silly. I could never imagine getting one. But now, I'm never taking it off. That's a conversion story in our, in our household. Maybe your journey with Jesus has been similar. You thought you'd never be into this Jesus stuff. And even now, you know, there are moments where it all doesn't seem to make sense or when you feel a bit ridiculous. You know that people look at you funny. Know that people look at the church across the world in all its brokenness and messiness and they wonder why you're part of that. And we wonder why we're part of it sometimes. But we know we aren't part of this Jesus thing because it looks good or even because we are good. We know that we need Jesus. We're with Jesus because we are the sick who need the doctor, the lost who need to be found. Jesus has found us and we know he is good. He is good. A person wearing an hoodie may look ridiculous, but they are warm. A person following Jesus may look ridiculous, but they are safe and they are loved and they are cared for and they are healed. The story of Matthew rips away any pride I might have in myself. Jesus chooses the worst. People like you, people like me. The story of Matthew makes me look around at those around us who appear to be far from Jesus. and I remember they are not beyond Jesus' reach. The good news, the gospel is the gospel of grace. A free gift for you, for me, for anyone who will see they need it. For anyone who will receive it with open arms. Let that be us, let that be our friends, our neighbours in this suburb, across Sydney and beyond. Let's pray. Father, please strip away from us the things that make us think that, that we're part of your people because we deserve it and we are good enough. Melt our hearts, take our pride, reform us. Father, we are the sick, we need a doctor. We pray for those who know and love, that we know and love that are far from you. And we beg that, like you came to Matthew and melted his heart, that you would melt theirs. Thank you for this gospel of irresistible grace. And as we have been shown this grace, may our hearts and households and churches by shape, be shaped by this grace as we pass it on to the world around us. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.